0: Only
1: redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value.
0: I will do it on a boat. I will do it in a moat. Like, I will scream at you wherever (laughs) you happen to be. Most preferably in the line at Target, but anywhere will do. What fresh hell? Laughing in the face of motherhood. Maggie wants to go on the swing
1: one more time. Maggie says, I don't want to go home. Like, you do that, and they're like, What's happening right now? With Margaret Abels and Amy Wilson.
0: Okay, my take is that this is a gigantic topic that we could just talk about me and my emotional problems for an hour. (laughs) A podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas so you don't have to. Can
1: I hit you with some science? I want you to. (laughs) Hey everybody, welcome to this episode of the What Fresh Hell
0: podcast. This is Amy, and this is Margaret, and today we are talking about self-regulation, Amy, and tantrums. Well, yeah, they're kind of related. <laughs> they are. For those people who are like, "What the heck is self-regulation?" They That's are a, related. We just read Charlotte's Web, and my family—that's my fancy way of saying temper tantrum.
1: <laughs> but first, I have a special shout out. I'm giving a shout out to Margaret because today is the second anniversary of the What Fresh Hell podcast, this episode. I
0: had no idea. By date?
1: Yes, our first episode was the 16th of October, 2016, and this is coming out mid-October 2018. This is our second anniversary.
0: We finished two trips around the track. Happy anniversary, happy anniversary. I had no idea this was such a significant day. I I forgot our anniversary, Amy. I'm sorry. (laughs) It's okay. What's the second anniversary? I'm so used to that. (laughs) Second anniversary. First is paper. First is paper. I don't Second know. I'll get you something special. Yeah, right. Someday. Cubic zirconia.
1: Yeah. Something well, lovely. this is fun. I think we're going to keep doing this 75 episodes in. It's really, it's yeah. really going pretty good. We're only getting started. Tell a friend, guys. Tell a friend, please. And tell us what you want to hear us talk about in the show because we might, like this episode topic came from one of our listeners. Her name's Mira. Hi, Mira. And she said she wanted to hear about emotional regulation and tantrums. Sometimes my seven-year-old still flips out at certain consequences. Cough, screen bans, cough, <laughs> and it's taking him a while to calm down. I
0: feel like the dramatic reading should have been like, <clears throat> screen bans," <clears throat> or I thought you were an actress, Amy. Come on! It's the screen bans. That's that thing. <laughs> she brought this to us on our Facebook page, facebook.com/forward/slash/whatfreshhellcast, where we're always looking for suggestions for topics. Yes, and yes. this was a good one, man. I have a nine year old and eight year old. I keep saying that because guess what? We had a birthday last week. I now have a 10 year old, an eight year old, and a six year old. We're back to even numbers. And we are still dealing with tantrums. We're three for three still on dealing with tantrums. Guess what? What? I have a 15 year old,
1: a 14 year old. No and a 10-year-old, and we still have tantrums at our house.
0: Wow. I mean, less than we you used to. You make me to. feel better a little bit because I'm like, wait, shouldn't we be over this by now?
1: Yes, yes, we should, and they definitely get like less frequent a 15-year-old is not raging about what color sippy cup they have, right? But it's well, Let's t- hope not. But there are still crises of self-regulation. And as I always like to say to myself in times when my kid is losing it, and I'm like, what is going on? They're not giving me a hard time. They're having a hard
0: time. I'm going to tell you something that literally this week I was fretting about one of my kids and... David turned to me and he's like remember what Amy always says though they're not giving you a hard time they're having a hard time and I was like is this the moment where I punch you in the face because that is such (laughs) annoying advice right now although it is actually true but you were being quoted to me in a highly fraught moment and it was not appreciated well it's funny you say that because as I looked sort of research for this episode
1: one thing that comes across is like there are things to do in the moment and there are things to do later and they are
0: not the same thing that's very true like I remember when I was giving birth an unmedicated accidental childbirth because I had a very quick labor. So they weren't able to give me an epidural. (laughs) I was in the midst of it. And at some point, my husband, I mean, it's like the oldest joke in the world, but he put his hand on my shoulder and he was like, remember your breathing, honey, in, in, out, out. And I literally looked at him and I was like, I will end you. Don't speak to me again. And the nice nurse was like, here's some ice chips. Just offer her ice chips. That's your only job for the rest of the day. Because <laughs> they could tell that his side coaching was really not going to go not well hopping. when I was like in full labor panic birthing.
1: I have an expert quote about that that is actually like another way of saying the same thing. So maybe we don't even need it. But I really like this quote. Lay it on me. Dr. Stephen Dickstein from the Child Mind Institute. He says, don't talk to the kid when he's not available. Like, yes, don't talk I was to not me. Available.
0: I'm not available. Right? Oh, my gosh. Head, no. I need like a sticker for my forehead that says not available. Yeah. Because there are so many times where I'm not available for what I call helpful suggestions.
1: Right. And neither are our kids when they're tantruming. They're literally they're not available. Right. They go somewhere else.
0: I feel like this was supposed to be about kid tantrums. But accidentally, it's just about dealing with my tantrums. It's just about how to keep when Margaret,
1: how to treat <laughs> Margaret when she's having a this bad day. This is just
0: an episode for my husband to listen to and realize that I have tantrums and I am not available for critique during those times. Let's reframe those
1: tantrums as issues of self-regulation. Correct, correct. Would you like to hear what self-regulation is? Please. The Child Mind Institute says that self-regulation is the ability to manage your emotions and behavior in accordance with the demands of the situation. Demanding situation, you're not going to manage your emotions or behavior so well. But self-regulation includes being able to resist highly emotional reactions to upsetting stimuli to calm yourself down when you get Upset to adjust to a change in expectations and handle frustration without outbursts. Yeah, I
0: get an F on this.
1: Well, always no. Just when there's you're in an intense situation.
0: Y- yeah, but that happens like once a day. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Dr. Stuart Shanker wrote a book called Self-Reg. I mean, self-regulation is a big topic that it's, lots it's of people talk about. Nowadays. It's a buzzword nowadays. It's word. a buzzword. Dr. Shanker, he kind of makes all his work about it. And his book, Self-Reg, is really good. I'll put a link up on the show page. And he has an artist. Her name is Kristen Weems. And she takes some of his artwork and she sort of renders it into beautiful sort of, okay, now I get it form. And I'll put this up on the show page. She did
0: something that says behavior is communication and it's an iceberg. Oh, yeah, this is good. I'm looking at it. This is like bad podcast fodder because we're both looking at it. Right, right. Let
1: me describe the picture. Good. But everybody can picture an iceberg. The whole point of an iceberg is you see a little and underneath is a lot. So the unexpected behavior, they're like, why is he blowing up in the middle of Target about not wanting to put the Star Wars T-shirt back? That's the unexpected behavior. That's the little bit of the iceberg that's peeking up above the waters and underneath the waters are all of these stressors. They're really hungry. You know, they missed their nap today. Their teacher yelled at them at school, or whatever. There are all kinds of reasons that they're exhibiting. It's 3 exhibiting.
0: p.m. They're home from school. They haven't had a snack.
1: Right, right. There are all kinds of reasons that the behavior is happening. And what a lot of experts suggest that as hard as it is in the moment to view that stress outburst behavior, which is stressful to us as really being about something else and try to get curious about what the something else is.
0: Okay. My take is that this is a gigantic topic that we could just talk about me and my emotional problems (laughs) for an hour, but we need to go to ages and stages. Let's start with toddlers and preschoolers and work our way up. I agree. So toddlers and preschoolers, their tantrums are frequent,
1: unpleasant, and in public or in private, they don't care. Like I'll do it at church. I'll do it in my living room. I don't. Right. I will
0: do it on a boat. I will do it in a moat. Like I will scream at you wherever <laughs> right. you happen to be. Right. Most preferably in the line at Target, but anywhere will do. Anywhere will do. And we talked about this in our
1: toddlers episode. I'll put up a link to that one too. If you haven't listened to that one and you have a toddler, go back and listen to that one. You've got but a lot to learn. A neuroscientist named Dr. Burnett, said that tantrums are
0: actually biologically necessary. You know if, what we love on this podcast, Amy? A biological what? imperative.
1: Yeah. Much like Darwin's finches, the, yes. the tantrum is a biological necessity. No, they can't to. It just always makes
0: me feel better when it's a biological imperative. I'm like, oh, they need to do this biologically. That makes me feel better while I am have they a child need... rolling around in aisle six. Right. They need to
1: have a mechanism for getting the maximum possible attention from an adult or every adult
0: in Target. And the way that they do it is by throwing tantrum right and it's biological imperative because they need that because in the wild during our caveman days like the toddler needed to be able to get attention when it was in distress right because you were busy like lighting the fire and hunting a mastodon and stuff
1: and i think experts agree that if you're somewhere you can do so if your kid is safe and you're not at your cousin's wedding then the best response is to ignore because even negative attention, even saying I said stop that right now or whatever is still a reinforcement. It's still reacting, even if it's a negative one.
0: Yeah. Although, you know what I prefer is like the Harvey Karp rule, who's Mm -hmm. um, happiest toddler on the block. Yes. He has something called the fast food rule. Fast food rule is repeat what your irate toddler is telling you just as the guy at the Taco Bell drive-thru repeats your order to confirm that he's got it right. So it's like, I'm... I, everything is terrible. Everything is terrible. That's what you're telling me. It's like the ignore thing sometimes feels wrong to me. Like I prefer the thing of like acknowledge the emotion and then say, We can fix it. Or if this tantrum is out of control, then I do we have a rule in our house, no tantrums downstairs.
1: Oh yeah. Hard and fast rule in our yeah, house. Yeah, I was gonna save that for the older kids, but yeah, tantrum's upstairs. Oh, it applies
0: at every age and stage. We're still doing it with the ten year old.
1: Well, like a two year old can't be sent to their room to tantrum because they're maybe not safe, but a five year old could. Yes and even a
0: two-year-old probably. Maybe a could. two-year-old
1: could. I've done this Harvey Carp rule. Get upstairs. The Harvey Carp rule is hilarious because the kids are sort of like, wait, what are you doing? Which is kind of all you need. I'm not even
0: sure if it's effective, but it certainly confuses them, which is kind of all you need. Someone told me a long time ago that with a baby crying, you blow in their face and it like breaks the fire line. You know, they get so confused for a second. They're like, what? And wait, then maybe they're like, they forgot right, that wait, they were upset the Yeah. Kind of is. the same theory. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I've done it with my kids like, oh, I want And I'm like, oh, you're mad. Maggie, wants to go in the swing one more time. Maggie doesn't want to leave the playground. Maggie says, I don't want to go home. Like, you do that. And they're like, what's happening right now? And it, it is effective because they're
0: like, yeah, that is what I'm saying. OK, I've been heard. I guess it spends it a little sooner. Well, and I do think it helps to start formulating words with this age group. I can see you are really frustrated. And we keep moving towards I am really frustrated as opposed to I am going to like fall down and kick Toys yeah,
1: I mean, I guess the reason that tantrums happen, you know, every 15 minutes with kids these age is that things they want to express outstrip their ability
0: to express them verbally, right? So they can express them with... Absolutely. And as someone who has a child with a language delay, kids who have language delays, tantrums tend to go on a little longer with them because it is the frustration of like, I have trouble expressing my needs in a verbal way. And so it is more frustrating to not be able to say like, hey, I had a bad day. I mean, I can now as an adult occasionally say, listen, honey, I'm going into the bedroom with my laptop and two Real Housewives episodes. Don't come talk to me. I need some downtime. I got to get out of the situation. My 10, 8, and 6-year-olds, none of them really have that ability. But my 10-year-old, who was my worst tantrumer and did struggle with language, the older he's gotten, the more self-regulated he's gotten. And I think a lot of it is just constantly reinforcing. I talked on another episode, but like my lead language with him was always, can we make a deal? That was my always starting point when he was really struggling. It's like, hey, can we make a deal? I can tell you want that ice cream. Let's look and make sure we have all the pieces of it. And then right after dinner, you can have an ice cream cone. Like, hey, can we make a deal? We can go where you want to go. And just the language of like, sometimes we do what I want to do. Sometimes we do what you want. Like, listen, there's a way to approach me where we can make a deal. We can make this work. And now as a 10 year old, he often comes to me and he's like, mom, can we make a deal? Uh It's working. You know, it worked. He really has found better language. He has a low frustration point, a little bit of a verbal delay. And so Those combinations make it pretty volatile sometimes. And we have worked through a lot of tantrums by starting at the toddler phase with we don't tantrum downstairs. I'm going to help you find language for what you're feeling. And can we make a deal?
1: That dovetails with I read something interesting that a psychologist named Dr. Matthew Rouse wrote about helping young kids with tantrums. And it's kind of going with what you're saying it's like help them, but not too much. Don't work overtime to soothe them. I mean, sometimes a kid who's like, (gasps) just needs the rocking chair and you and their blankie, right? I'm not saying never do that. But he does say, little children, look to their parents like, help me, I'm overheating here, right? I'm in meltdown mode. I don't know what to do. You need to show them what to do. But if they learn to outsource their regulation to you, then that becomes a habit.
0: Absolutely. And I will go back to my touchstone advice of my mom's. You cannot address anything but behavior. So if the tantrum is like I'm punching and hitting someone, that kid needs to be removed from the situation. That behavior is unacceptable but it's okay to feel the feeling. It's not okay to behave this way. That's the distinction you're trying to draw from them. You must be so frustrated that you dropped that ice cream cone. What a terrible feeling. You cannot kick me in the face because you dropped your ice cream cone. And maybe we can make a deal where if you can calm yourself down and get yourself together, we can go back and get another ice cream cone or we'll make a date to get ice cream later in the week because that was really disappointing. Like the behavior is unacceptable. The feeling is real and maybe there's some way to make a deal.
1: Right. And some flexibility from the parent. I just was following this mother and her kid down the street the other day in New York City. And he was a two year old. It was raining. I mean, it wasn't monsooning. It was raining. He wanted to hold the umbrella and the mother was just yelling. I'm like, you can't hold the umbrella. Like, I'm going to get wet like I hold the umbrella. Like and they just were in the middle of the street with this kid just having a meltdown and both of them getting wet while they fought over who held the umbrella. And I just thought, like, lady, come on. Like, just duck into a store, get undercover and be like, OK, how are we going to do this? We're both going to get wet. Hmm. Let's make a deal, as you would say. Why don't, mm-hmm. why don't you hold it for two minutes and then I'll hold it for whatever. Her yelling at him for having a meltdown over something silly, guess what, was not helping it. It was just ramping right. up. And, and we've all and done up.
0: it. Like, you're in the end of a long day. It's raining. You're getting wet. Everyone's frustrated. It's hard in those moments. That's the thing of like, what did it say? Not available sound in my forehead. Right. Like, Like my husband being like, remember Amy's great advice. I'm like, how about instead I just push you out of this moving car? (laughs) Like, it's not easy when you're in those really fraught moments. I did it just myself the other day. I was yelling at my kid and we were just having a long, bad day. We were over at Friends and he was like, just eating pizza by shoving whole pieces of pizza in his mouth. And I was like, oh, that's disgusting. Stop. And I was like, what a thing to say to my kid, you know, in front of like all these people. But sometimes you lose it. That's going to happen. You're going to have bad moments where you're just like screaming at your two-year-old over an umbrella on a rainy day. Like that is going to happen to everybody. But these overall takeaways, I think are really important when dealing with toddlers. Then we're going to need to start dealing with older kids and grade schoolers and we're going to talk about that right after this break and now practicing self-care before kids versus practicing self-care after kids from the what fresh hell podcast before kids
1: i'm going to luxuriate in a nice hot bubble bath and let all of my cares just soak away after kids I'm going to let the kids play age-inappropriate video games for 20 minutes and let myself shave at least one of my legs in the shower. Before kids. I'm going to take some time out to make a nice, healthy meal for myself and enjoy it sitting on the patio in communion with nature. After kids. I'm going to move this leftover mac and cheese to a plate instead of eating it straight out of the pan. Before
0: kids.
1: Spa day. Some hot stones should really relax my lower back.
0: After kids.
1: I'm going to allow myself four very deep breaths after letting the kids out of the drop-off line. Before kids. One facial serum for day, two facial serums for night. After kids. I'm just going to clean my face off with this nearby baby wipe. Before kids. I've bought this sunrise alarm clock to gently wake me without disrupting my sleep cycle. After kids, I've produced three humans who shriek at me for breakfast starting at 6.15 a.m. Before kids, I need to get to the beach and sit in the sand and soak up some sun. It's
0: so restorative. After kids, the beach. Are you serious? We're not going to the beach. I'd have to be insane. This has been practicing self-care before kids versus practicing self-care after kids from the What Fresh Hell podcast.
1: So I like to think of the grade school phase as the, oh, my God, why is this still happening phase?
0: Yeah. Because you're like, isn't this supposed to be over? Isn't
1: this supposed to be over by now? Understood.org does say by the time kids are eight or nine, they've most of the time learned to handle their strong emotions. They have language skills. They've learned to negotiate, and so it's not happening. Yeah, come every on over to myhouseunderstood.com <laughs> and see how that's working out. This is the stage where, as we've discussed, they save all the best stuff for us. We just yes. talked about after-school restraint collapse a couple of weeks ago, and that's what this is. They can hold it together in church or at ballet class, and then they come home
0: and uh, and it all just comes apart at the seams. Right. And I will say, tantrums have gotten immensely better. We're not really dealing with full tantrums. But yeah, we're still having some tantrums. What we talked about recently, after school, throw the steak to the bear. Like the big snack as soon as everyone walks in the door. My new snack, tip, plate of like finger sandwiches, peanut butter and jelly or like whatever, ham sandwiches. Finger sandwich style on a big tray and then a thing of fruit. Like it's solid snack. It's not three cookies. Yeah. That's been helping a lot. I just forgot. You know, it's back to school again. And suddenly I'm like, oh, that's right. Three kids come in. I have one kid who just is not a tantrumer, never has been. She's just like a ray of sunshine human. And she's always like, I had another great day. Like she's easy. But my two boys, if I don't feed them as soon as they come in, then about five o'clock we start to get the random, like he touched me, it was my turn. Tantrums.
1: Yeah, this is one of those things where you get lazy and you tend to find, you know, some broken chocolate chip cookies from six months ago at the back of the pantry. But you really need to have more food around healthy food. And if you put it out, they'll eat it. I put a bowl of grapes out yesterday in front of my son and his friend who are playing a card game. And they ate him. Yeah. It was like a quiet place where the aliens come and they just like, (laughs) they're not there. And then they're there and it's eaten. It was like that. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Sorry about that. No problem. So let's go back to the iceberg metaphor, right? When this happens, when they're like, he hit me and he touched me, you're doing the right thing, which is to question this unexpected behavior maybe it's not so unexpected once you go to see the pattern. Why is this happening? Why now? It's happening at five o'clock because they are having after school restraint collapse because they didn't eat today. There's usually a reason, a trigger. So Dr. Dr. Schenker says you got to look for your patterns. You have to look how your child is telling you or telling others through their body and their speech that their stress is too great. And once you see the pattern and once you understand the trigger, then you can start to head them off at the pass or even better, teach your kid to head them off at the pass. I'll tell my kids sometimes, go take Marshmallow to your room. We have a little nine-pound dog who has, you know, endless boundless. Amy, all of our listeners know about beloved eh? Marsha. But anyway, all she wants to do is love you and be petted by you. Like she's got a lot of bandwidth for that. And guess what? It really helps no matter how mad they are. I mean, they might stomp up to their room carrying her under their arm, but they pet the dog. They calm down and having that available to them, me saying, why don't you go do that? I know you'll feel better. I mean, sometimes they will do that when they're having a bad afternoon without me having to suggest it. Just like your son, they start to say, oh, this is something, geez, I kind of do feel better. Hmm.
0: Yeah. And I think one key thing with that is I try really hard. I'll go back to my favorite. I know you guys have heard about it a lot, the whiteboard. Like I am big at this age. With my kids right now, 6, 8, and 10, I find it extremely important to limit surprises as much as possible. Yes. So like my kids have just started CCD again. CCD is Catholic after-school Religious Education. It's kind of a drag. It's not that fun. All my kids have to do it. I, on the first day of CCD, did not realize it was the first day of CCD, sent them off in the morning, and then I'm like, oh, no, I need to meet them at school at three o'clock where they're playing with their friends on the playground, and I need to break it to them that they have to stop playing with their friends. They're not coming home to watch screens. They're going to CCD. And you can imagine that did not go very well. This I can week, predict that, yeah. CCD is Thursdays. I've already started priming that pump. On Monday, I'm like, don't forget it, CCD on Thursday. <laughs> Every day this week, I will remind them <laughs> CCD on Thursday. Off to so the then gallows by with Thursday, you. Yeah, you're like, sorry, Three more days. you're going. Three more days. The countdown is on. But, and CCD involves, you know, we've started involving like you get a donut as your snack for CCD, like find some ways to make it a little more appealing, eat your donut, and then you're ready to go to CCD. It's not a surprise. So Dr. Vasco Lopez, also from the Child Mind Institute, says
1: that kids who have frequent meltdowns, most of them are doing it in situations that are actually very predictable, which helps us, right? It makes it a little bit less, why are they doing this? If you start to see them as predictable and follow the patterns, this makes sense to me. It really does. And for school-age kids, he's like, it's two things. The triggers are two things. Either you're making them do something they don't want to do or making them stop doing something they really do enjoy doing. And CCD is both, right? Stop. Yes. It's in with your friends a with me. <laughs> and come learn about the
0: Lord. Yeah. So so it's it's tough. Yeah. It's a twofer. So maybe that does need a three-day wind-up. Yeah. And this is why the whiteboard system, and I've fallen away from it because I'm lazy and I'm getting back to it today. The whiteboard lists our nightly schedule and it really helps, especially my high anxiety guy who's a little more tantrum prone. Like, If it's CCD, it's on the whiteboard the morning of. So you see it, you know you're going. Then you know when you come home from CCD, you have 45 minutes of free time. That can involve screens if you want. That's your time. Then you get break time, play time, like physical outdoor time. Then you have an hour of homework time. Then for dinner, we're having chicken cheese bread. Then after that, we're going to read a chapter of Harry Potter together. Then after that, It's free time, then it's bedtime. Like I write the entire day out and it really helps. Again, it's just prime in the pump, no surprises. I have a follow up question. Yes. What's chicken cheese bread? It's a great recipe. What is it's that? chicken, broccoli, and cheese wrapped up in Pillsbury dough. So it's like a bread log filled with chicken, broccoli, and cheese. All my kids eat it. Oh, uh, can you give me the recipe and I'll put that up on our show yeah. page? Chicken cheese bread. Why are we not all always eating chicken cheese bread? It's delish. It's got a ton of broccoli in it. They can't pick around it. And it's easy peasy. It tends to be, I will say, I teach on Monday nights. And so that tends to be my husband's go-to dinner because he just has to, little rotisserie chicken, little broccoli, little cheese, wrap it in Pillsbury dough, you're done with dinner. (laughs) That sounds amazing. It's really good. You can also do it with like pepperoni marinara and mozzarella, cheese pizza bread. I Uh, love the all-in-one bread. It's like a calzone. Yeah. You just throw some veggies in it and they can't pick them out and you're done for the night. So my school-aged kids, all three of them, when they were this sort of grade school
1: age, the thing, it wouldn't even be a tantrum so much as the like <laughs> I have too much homework. I don't know how to do it, like I'm terrible at math. Like they fall apart while they're doing homework. Right. I'm
0: dumb. I don't know anything. Yeah, oh, yeah. And so and awful.
1: I read something interesting about this. Doctor, going back to Dr. Rouse, he has says that you have to be careful in that. So like my daughter, she wants to do homework, you know, somewhere where I'm close by. And my boys were both the same way at her age. They're like, but I want to be down here in case I have questions. I'm like, you need to go to your room. And like we fight about that. She wants you there as a touchstone, but he says says, if you're too much of that, if you're too much of the source of self-regulation for your kid around homework or whatever the thing is they don't want to be doing, then when they get frustrated by it, who do they take it out on? Stupid mom, right? I just was dealing with this last right, it's night. It's your fault, right? The science fair, note cards, like the tears. I'm like, why are you such an idiot, mom? Like it comes out of... You're like, I, why I, am I catching right, shrapnel right, I don't on know. this yeah. horror show? I don't know. Right, exactly. I'm just, you know, nearby. But yeah, they're blaming it on you because they're feeling frustrated and you're standing right there. He's saying it doesn't really help them, they start to feel like you're the source of the frustration. If only you wouldn't make them do homework as if it were optional, then everything would be fine. And so you need to remove yourself from the situation a little bit more. So they take on the regulation rule themselves.
0: Or you put the impersonal arbiter in the middle, which for me is the whiteboard. I often say stuff like, okay, Google, this is going to set off people's Google and they go crazy. (laughs) I say, you know what? Put 10 minutes and I'm like, guys, I bet you can do this worksheet in 10 minutes. You do it. When the alarm comes back, I'll come back and check it. Like, it's not about me helping you with your homework. It's about me facilitating your relationship with your homework. I've been trying that right now. And that just sends them to like, no,
1: no timer. So it depends. Yeah, it depends the on timer the kid. It can but, be awkward. But, too. But, the, um, but I do agree with finding the correct impartial arbiter that's an object and not mom as a solution. It's and just always tech.
0: like helping them shape the story of like, wow, you must be really frustrated. Wow, that must be frustrating for you trying to help them find the story for themselves of like, you know what? Homework is just a review of what you did during the day. Let's try it. If you're struggling with it, just tell the teacher tomorrow you need more help with it. Like helping them to tell the story of, I can see you're really frustrated by this, but look at the context. It's not that big a deal. You know, my eight-year-old, third grader, he was forgetting his homework every day. He's very disorganized. And God, as my grandmother Conver, used to say, he didn't lick it off the sticks and stones. He gets it directly from me, very disorganized. He would forget his homework. And then every night he would be crying and upset. I'm going to be in trouble. You have to come with me. Tell the teacher. And I'm like, I'll just email your teacher. And I just emailed the teacher. And I said, listen, this guy's having a lot of trouble remembering his homework. Is there a system that you and I can help him design? And then I went to back to school night and like very cute on his desk was a little like nightly checklist. And he has to check it every day. And he has to like put a little post it every day to say, yes, I put my homework in my folder. Yes, I remember my sweatshirt, you know, and workarounds are fine for kids who are struggling with stuff, but it's not, I'm going to go to school every day and put your homework in your backpack for you. Yeah. I'm going to help help you figure this system out because I can tell you're frustrated. And in the meanwhile, your behavior is unacceptable. Stop calling me an idiot. Uh, Well, (laughs) that is kind of what I
1: would like to say to my teens when they're having meltdowns. Yes, it happens. But we'll talk
0: about what you actually are supposed to do right after this. I'm frightened for this one because I don't have teens yet. I'm scared. Get ready.
1: optimally hydrated. So whether you're looking to hydrate during your workout while traveling or at the end of a long night, sports research hydrate electrolytes have got you covered with over 65 trace minerals, seven essential vitamins and coconut water powder. Crisp and refreshing without
0: any sugar, this is hydration powered by Sports Research. Each box has 16 little stick packs that you can take on the go, whether you're headed to an exercise class, a night out with friends, or a podcasting conference. And did we mention they come in delicious flavors
1: from raspberry lemonade to cherry pomegranate? Stay hydrated with Sports Research Hydrate Electrolytes. Visit sportsresearch.com and use the code WHATFRESH at checkout
0: for 50% off your purchase of Hydrate. That's S P O R T S R E S E A R C H dot com, and use code WHATFRESH for fifty percent off your hydrate electrolytes order. Oh, Amy, I guess we have to talk about teenagers. My whole whole attitude towards teenagers is like the less I know, the better. I don't want to know. So do teens tantrum? No, but they do have sort of really outsized emotional reactions out of nowhere. I will say my 10 year old. He must have seen a movie or something. And he somehow has picked up that door slamming is a thing. Like I can tell he's doing it very theatrically. Like when he gets mad, he like stomps up to his bedroom and slams his door really hard. We have pocket doors on the bedrooms in our apartment. So my kids will be like, I wish I I didn't even live here. Dun, 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 slide. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it's not as sad. It's like, I'm going to hang up on you by pressing this red button. Like it's (laughs) not as fun. Like the old locks alert Back in my day, in the olden days, you could slam the phone receiver slam down on that someone, and set it felt down. so good. It was like, "And I'm done with you." And now you're like, "And I'm hold on, let me find the button." Okay, I turn <laughs> you wait, off. Ooh. Like it's totally. Right. We've lost so much from that. Interaction. I, if you slide a sliding
1: door too hard, it just opens back up. That is and hilarious. And then that's like so embarrassing if you have to well,
0: close it again. One of our leaders wrote to us on Facebook at some point that they took the door off their teenager's bedroom because they just didn't want to deal with the slamming anymore, and they were like, "Oh." Here's the solution. I just took the hinges off and pulled the door right off.
1: Wow. So the thing about tantrums with teens or just emotional meltdowns is that they are definitely less common, but they're also less predictable. Like Mm. we were just talking Mm. about how, like, an eight-year-old, like, make sure you have the cheese sticks and apples cut up ready to go as soon as they walk in. I mean, you can do that for a teenager too. But sometimes when they're like, nobody understands me, it just comes. It comes out of you're like nowhere and the things that they're struggling with are not math homework it's like the girl broke up with them or whatever the things you don't know about and you Mm, aren't supposed to know about and they're the last person they're going to tell so it's all a little bit harder to deal with and when they kind of blow up you're sort
0: of like what just happened my brother used to describe one of his kids and be like they're basically tahiti it's a sunny beautiful paradise And then the storms come. (laughs) And it's like, that's it. Like you you have these like completely rational people. And the other thing is like, I found with dealing with my nieces and nephews, they're so tall and they look like human beings. And so then when they occasionally like break into that like very childlike, really tantrum-y kind of phase, it's so shocking. You're like, oh, that's right. You're 16. You're not 35. Right, right. They exactly. seem so you're taller reasonable to me, but you're and then a child. suddenly, like, boom, in comes the storm. Can I hit you with some science? I want you to. <laughs> you're always I ready.
1: demand it. So, Dr. David Walsh, she's the author of a book called Why Do They Act This Way, which I haven't read yet, but sounds like a good book. He explains that we were like, what's going on? Are they misinterpreting something? Are they trying to drive me crazy? That what's happening is that their prefrontal cortex a teenagers, which is the center of moderation and impulse control and understanding long-term consequences, that's under construction. Mm. That's still being built. And their hormones, which are like what puts the pedal to the metal, are raging. He says the brakes are on back order and the accelerator is,
0: is <laughs> That's a prime. good
1: metaphor. Yeah, they're in prime working condition.
0: Once and so, again, our metaphors are really serving us, yeah. the
1: iceberg and the accelerator. So I like this. And the other thing is we adults read situations, read other people's intent. We use our prefrontal cortex. They just go with their gut. And so when sometimes... They blow up at you like, that's not what I said at all. That's not what they meant. And they have sort of strange reactions. It's because they are trying to react with a prefrontal cortex that they just don't have.
0: I also think it is because, and I see this already with my tweens, they are acting out a developmentally appropriate relationship with you, which is like cleaving from the parent, basically, true. like, that a 10 year old, like my son, I can almost see it in his eyes sometimes, whereas I'm like, that's inappropriate. Don't do that. That's against the rules. He is just entering the phase where like, he looks at me with like startled dear eyes. And he's like, why? why is it inappropriate? What does that mean? Like, I am no longer the overarching Zeus figure where it's like, what she says goes, mom knows everything. Mom is God of my world. He's like starting to like throw rocks at the heavens and be like, wait a minute, what if God is wrong?
1: <laughs> and it's horrible. <laughs> the mom says, yeah, explanation is not enough for them
0: anymore. I think this is one thing to remember about teenagers. And I had a horrifying set of teenage years. And like if the old joke of like the curses that you get the kids that you were to your own parents, I am hosed because I was a horrible teenager. And just like I found every thought and value that my parents had like skin crawlingly offensive. Like you guys are such idiots. Like I was like a 60s teenager. I was like, that's just because you guys are beholden to the Man, like I had had a revelation that like the world, my parents' boring like rule-laden world was just nonsense, man. Like I had seen the light and... I just was so obnoxious. Mm-hmm. Horrible. There probably were some patterns around that, even for
1: teenagers, ones that you weren't maybe aware of as a you know, 15, 16 year old, but it was usually around test time or it was usually mm. after you broke up with a boyfriend or whatever, like the other stuff is going on. And we've and then, also talked about like punch birth mom. order. Mm-hmm.
0: And I had two older siblings who were like pretty much perfect children, like straight A's, Ivy League colleges, like head of student council, Phi Beta everything. And I was sort of like my identity can't be that so my identity will be like this is all nonsense the stuff you guys care about so the trick is and not that I have the answers to this but the struggle oh, is to I not thought you did why are you hosting
1: a podcast if well, you don't have the
0: answers I got
1: a good metaphor for you but the, you know the struggle is in these situations when they're like yelling at you out of nowhere for something you didn't actually do or think or say you know like where is this even coming from and you can't talk to me like that like to not get sucked into the emotion and respond
0: in kind Ugh. This is the $64,000 piece of advice, like not getting sucked in. I remember at some point my nieces were out visiting me and they were the sweetest kids in the world, but they were like 11 and 13 or something. And they were fighting like crazy. And I, of course, had done the thing of like, you know, I was living in LA and didn't have a ton of money and I was going to host them for the week. And I bought tickets to Universal with money I didn't have. And oh, I was going to spend all this money and show them a great time. And I'm my convertible, we were going to drive around it. And they were teenagers, you know, they were kind of like frowny and pouty about some of it. And they would get tired and be like, this is dumb. And I was like, I will convince you. You need to show me some gratitude. Like I went crazy. And my then boyfriend, now husband... Part of the reason I married him, he literally put his hands on my shoulders and he was like, stop engaging with the twins. Mm-hmm. Like they have the emotional maturity of a 13 year old. You have the emotional maturity of a 37 year old. Like stop engaging with them. Yeah. It's not a winnable battle. You're making yourself crazy. And they're going to blame it on it. you. And they're going to be like, what is mom so mad about?
1: As we have all experienced. But you before. can
0: then go back and address the behavior and be like, you know what, guys, if you keep speaking rudely to me, we are going to leave. Sure. The behavior is unacceptable. But why are you acting like this? Don't you see gratitude? Show me some respect. That stuff you got to take out of it. And you just got to boil it down to be like, you are not allowed to speak to me like that. Why don't you step out of the kitchen until you can speak respectfully? I understand that you're frustrated, but that behavior is unacceptable.
1: Can I give you a metaphor? You can. I love a metaphor. Dr. David Walsh, you're going to like this one. He says, if you feel your blood pressure rising, you take a deep breath and you say to yourself, when you feel like taking the wind out of his sails, it's a better idea to take your sails
0: out of his wind. Hmm. Let me it's think just, about it for I a know, minute. I know I
1: had to think about that.
0: I got to get yeah. well, This isn't our marathon metaphor. This is a little more complicated. You, you feel can't like stop taking the his, wind out of his sails. Take your sails out of his wind. I'm You can't it. stop his wind. Like stop that wind. No, you can't stop the wind, but you can put your own sails down. Amy, that is a solid metaphor right yeah, now. Yeah. I know. I like it. That's right. That's exactly it. And that's for older kids, right? Mm, I don't think it's only for older kids. Well, I feel like it's only for older kids
1: that you're like, why are you doing this? Well, that's not true. Sometimes you do get into that with your two-year-old. Like, oh,
0: I've done it. I just did it with my 10-year-old. Like that. Stop eating your, that disgusting thing. You're, uh, you're, uh." and I'm like screaming at him. And it's like, what am I doing? I'm supposed to be in charge here. Mm -hmm. Horrible. Mm Mm-hmm. Take your sails down. What do they call that? Tack your sails. Don't jib know. Your scale. See, here's Only the thing. Only my brother in law I- is a sailor. He would know this term. <laughs> trim, trim your sails. That's what it's called. Trim your sales. Your sales. Trim your own sales, and then hash sales. Trim your
1: sales, guys. Say, go trim your sales upstairs in your room, and don't slide the sliding door too hard,
0: because then it'll just open again. (laughs)
1: again. That's so embarrassing.
0: Yeah, you know that is a definite go-to in our house. Is like this behavior is definitely not allowed at the dining room table. If you're going to act like this, you'll have to excuse yourself when you're ready to act correctly. Return to us. I mean, I've talked about the hearth. Like we keep the hearth. You're welcome at the hearth. But if you have behavior that is incompatible with being at the hearth, you have to step away. Yeah, we're here. We're still going to be here. We're tending it. It'll always be here. But you have to step out of my kitchen. You're out of my dining room. You're in your room. You're not in downstairs. If we're playing a game and you're too frustrated, Step away from the game. Your behavior is unacceptable. I understand why you're frustrated, but you may not return until your behavior is correct.
1: And when they're old enough to go off by themselves, they might be yelling in their room. Fine. They might be, you know, punching pillows. That's fine. And then they come back downstairs. They're a little bit calmer. Their I am unavailable light is now off. And then maybe you can have a discussion about you can't do that while I'm on
0: the phone, right? <laughs> you can't. You can't. Well, do that I would say every night. <laughs> I try when they come back into the room, and this has been something of a learning for me i find when they come back into the room it's bad to lead with like do you see why what you did was absolutely, wrong? absolutely. when they come back into the room how you feeling are you feeling better good all right, I'm glad now that you're calm, come join us again. Like if you start to re-engage with like, do you understand why that's unacceptable? And this is a real problem for me. And it's a real problem for my husband. And both of us have this problem. And my son, now my 10 year old is often like, can we stop talking about this? And he's not wrong. Like if he does something, I'm like, wait, you have to understand that you can't act like that. But I've made the condition that like you can come back when you behave correctly and that if he comes back behaving correctly and I re up the conversation about what he did wrong, that's the wrong call.
1: That's the wrong call. You can't talk about it while they're raging and you can't talk about it five minutes after they stop raging. No, you have to choose a very disengaged moment because the goal is the calm, right? The goal is the regulation. So don't mess up the regulation and calm that is finally just occurred and when they're older i don't even do that i don't even do like how you feeling are you feeling better they do not right look at happy fun that. ball do not engage right? <laughs> right and so they come back downstairs and you know with teenagers they're like mom
0: do you know where my cleats are they're oh like, yeah let me help you grab those sweet as yeah. molasses
1: yeah and then and then right if you're pleasant then i'm pleasant if you're regulated then i'm regulated see how easy that is right don't re-engage with the
0: thing until it's well in the rear view mirror Well, I teach a lot and I teach public speaking and improv and all sorts of stuff. And I've found that even in teaching that like you run an exercise and there's a temptation to be like, did you see what we learned there? It's like, trust that the learning happened and you can keep moving. You don't have to always go back and be like, let's put a fine point on what we all learned. Like, it's okay. The learning happened and the learning is going to happen again. And you're not going to convince somebody to say like, God, that time you ran into the street, you can't do that. I understand you have this anxiety where it's like, I need to convince you. You may never let go of my hand in a parking lot again. You're not going to get there by saying it 20 times. You're going to get there by regulating the behavior very strongly and doing that every single time. Yeah. Yeah. We solved it. Man, we solved this one, Amy.
1: (laughs) Slam down the gavel. We solved it. We want to hear how you guys are dealing with tantrums with all the ages and stages at your house. There's a lot of ways you can tell us. You can go to our Facebook page, which is
0: facebook.com slash... What Fresh Hellcast. And that's where we got our original idea for this episode from Mira. So let like, keep them coming. You can also find us on Twitter at WFH Podcast. We're also on Instagram at What Fresh Hellcast as well. And we're going to put up links to
1: all the studies and all the ideas and the picture of the iceberg and all that will be on our show page for this episode. You can find that on WhatFreshHellPodcast.com. And
0: I just want to close with this one last thought because I think it's so great, Ross Green kids do well if they can and yep. I feel like that's a great thought to leave on like your kids want to do well generally they really want to let them do well with all these tips and then remember that kids do well if they can
1: and I'm going to leave you with that thought I'm gonna, I'm gonna go off with my sales tact <laughs> and
0: tack those sales trim those sales in my heart. yes all right guys we'll talk to you next week thanks for listening tell a friend bye
1: Margaret, it's an exciting news day.
0: An exciting news day indeed, Amy. A few years
1: ago, we launched our first spinoff podcast, Toddler Purgatory, hosted by the hilarious Blair Brooks and Molly Lloyd.
0: And guess what? Now Blair and Molly are back